When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, it's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your questions about family opinions on exes, parting gifts for guests, a family divided by meat, gift-giving cutoffs, and more. Plus, a postscript segment from the 1922 edition of Etiquette. All that, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. So I've had a really long week. I just want to say that. I've wait, And it's only, it's Wednesday today when we're recording. But I mean, I haven't, st- I had a little bit of time Sunday that we spent at your baby shower. Oh my goodness. And yeah, not the, the same long week everyone's been having. We've had all kinds of a long week. No kidding. It started with on Saturday, I had the great pleasure of getting to teach two wonderful women, uh, Alina and Lindgren, who were here to take our Wedding Etiquette for Professionals programs. So these are people in the event planning or wedding world that come and they want a deeper dive into etiquette so that when they're dealing with clients and other vendors, they know the etiquette side of weddings to be upholding and also helping their clients. Um, Lena was a uh, is, excuse me, a calligrapher, which I thought was really, really exciting. And Lindgren, she's going to be managing a hotel space as their event planner. And it's a beautiful space. So it was really exciting. One of the things I love most about these trainings is that people expect them to be like 150 people in a lecture Mm -hmm. hall style. These are very intimate trainings. And what I love about that is that it gives us a chance to really talk about the issues that these folks are experiencing within their industry. It gives us a chance to tell stories and share things. One of the things they both loved was that they, they didn't have the same job. So the, the kind of cross information that they were able to bring to each other, I think, really helped. And you went the place that I was hoping you'd go yeah. about the, the intimate nature of it. I was going to take a slightly different door in and mentioned that you co-teach it with your mother. I do. <laughs> which is so cool to me. Interesting. You Well, because you've taught with your mom before and you've exactly. taught with my dad and I've taught with your mom, but well, I teach with my mother in this. And, and she it, is amazing. Yeah, she has no, a wealth of knowledge, particularly <laughs> about this we, area. We talk about my mom being the actual etiquette encyclopedia. I mean, she really is. And this particular area, having thrown my sister's wedding um, and her own and and certainly having worked on as many of the books in, in our business as she's worked on with us, she is a wealth of knowledge, and it's a lot of fun to get to teach with her for the day. Miss um, Trisha. Miss Trisha. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a blast, and I was really, really glad to participate. But I want to talk to people about your baby shower. It was a really nice—I mean, I love the fact that both of um, our families get along so well. Yeah. So I had an amazing conversation with your sister-in-law, Jaya. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got to spend time with her finally at the wedding. It was so busy. And she and I just had this wonderful connection at the baby shower where I was like, I can't wait till Jaya comes to visit again. Or the next time I'm down in New York City, I want to see her. <laughs> Well, um, you will have an opportunity because we're already planning the next visit. <laughs> and I, I similarly um, had a better time than I thought I would. I was a little nervous about the idea of a Jack and Jill shower. I was <laughs> hoping I would escape and there was no escape. Nope, no escape. Um, you were there front and center. I'm glad you enjoyed it, too. I didn't see that personal connection between you and Jay because there were a lot of people there, a lot going on. And um, I was really heartened. Um, our Uncle Bill called my mother the Mm -hmm. day after to say how much he'd enjoyed it. I don't think he'd ever been to a shower before. And he really appreciated the... 
the whole scene, the time with family in particular, I think matters a lot to him. But I think he also liked the event itself. And um, it was nice for me to get a little bit of that feedback coming through the, the guy side of the family grapevine. Tell him why I won at the baby shower. Come on. Tell him why I won. Oh, yeah. You know. You know why I won. Because you're the best? What onesie did I make? The Tom Brady onesie. Amid <laughs> <laughs> all the duckies and everything, you're going to have a onesie for Football Sunday. <laughs> Before we uh, move on to the show, because I, I know that we need to get there, I also just want to mention that... Um, I came into the studio today feeling a little bit injured. I'm the walking wounded. I managed to stub my toe this morning and fall and put my hand on the hot wood stove. And while I was sitting there holding my stubbed toe, I realized that my hand was actually throbbing more than my foot. It was Keystone Cops, comedy of error. I've got a a bag of ice in my hand right now as we're recording. But as I came into the studio prepared to share my story, Lizzie Post holds her hand up and she's got a bandage on the end of her finger. I cut the tip of it off last night. So... Ooh, it just makes me shudder to hear it. But we are the walking wounded. So if you hear rustling in the background, that's Dan's bag of ice. We are here today, though, because we want to deliver some truly awesome etiquette. Let's get to it. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call and leave us a message at 802-866-0860. We cannot wait to hear from you. This question's titled Respect the X. Dear Dan and Lizzie, First, I wanted to say that since discovering your podcast while listening to an episode of The Dinner Party Download, I have been hooked. Every time my girlfriend hears me listening to the podcast and you talk about how amazing Vermont is, she nudges me to remind me that we need to visit Vermont together, where she spent an amazing internship during college. Oh, awesome. Well, we would welcome you anytime. Like a lot of soldiers, or in my case, former soldier, I have divorced and my ex lives in Florida while I went home to Wisconsin to be close to my family, to finish my education, and to figure out what I wanted to do post-Army. We also share custody, and placement of our son this Thanksgiving will be the first Thanksgiving he spends up here in Wisconsin with me, my girlfriend, and our families. My concern is that our divorce left a very distasteful feeling with my family, and they have never not let their opinions be known to me, and that is perfectly fine. After all, they are my family, and that support has always been greatly appreciated by me, and I have told them so. I simply do not want my son to hear my family talking about his mother like that, because however my family may feel about his mother, he is entitled to his own relationship with his mother on his own terms. How do I approach this conversation with my family? I do not want them to feel like I am telling them how to behave or that I do not appreciate their full support of me throughout this entire painful process. I want them to enjoy seeing their grandson and for my son to enjoy seeing his grandparents. It should be pointed out my parents are themselves divorced and I remember them talking about each other to me and my sister and how bad that made me feel when I was young and I absolutely do not want my son to go through that. Thank you so much for any insight you can offer. Thank you also for the amazing podcast. Best, M. Oh, M, I just want to commend you for being an excellent father. It is really hard to compartmentalize emotions like this and to really understand the effect that they might have on your child. And I just really want to say that I think you're thinking about this the right way. You're coming at this from the right angle. And I think it's time for a serious sit down with your family. And I think basically what you've said in your email is actually a really good outline for what you can say to them, which is, I want to thank you guys for all of your support for me during this really difficult process that I went through. This is going to be the first year that John is up here with us, and I'm so excited to have him. But one thing that I would really like us to focus on is making sure that all of our conversations, if they at all go to talking about his mother, are really positive. I want him to have a positive view of his mom. I want him to feel like he is supported and encouraged to have that view. So let's all pull together and we know what we know and I appreciate and love your support. But I really want to make sure that he never hears us talking badly about his mom. 
And I think that that's the kind of precedent that you set. And I do think that sitting down, since you are lucky enough to be in the same area as your family, sit down in person. They're going to be able to hear your emotional sincerity. They're going to be able to see the tone that you have um, on your face and with your body language. And I think that's going to help set it in a way of, I appreciate your support, but now we have to support my son. And his support looks different from my support. I love that answer. I couldn't agree with my cousin anymore. Um, You really sound like an amazing father. And the way that you explained your approach to this situation and this question gives me absolute confidence that you're going to be able to communicate that to your family. I love Lizzie's idea of starting that conversation with thanks and appreciation for the support they've shown you. I think that's a, a great way to honor that support and the place of caring it comes from. The only thing that I would add to that answer is to stay persistent in this approach that your family may take a little while to internalize this idea, the the way that you've presented it. They might even mess up along the way. It's okay for you to continue to correct them, to stay on top of this, to continue to have this conversation if you need to. Sometimes it takes a little while for a new habit to form. And if their habit of thinking about this situation and talking about it is to talk about it in this way, it might take a little while to break that. And you can help them with that. You can even offer to hold them accountable with uh, a, a little look or some sign that lets them know that they're starting to get into territory where you've all agreed ahead of time that you're going to help them stay out of. And we hope that this helps. It sounds like you are you are definitely on the path to having a super successful first Thanksgiving visit with your son. And we wish you a really happy holiday for you and the rest of your family. Our next question is titled Parting Gifts. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First off, I want to say that I enjoy listening to your podcast and have found your advice to be practical and insightful. Thank you. Thank you. I am writing with a question regarding holiday party parting gifts. My husband and I have thrown a holiday party for our coworkers and friends for the past two years and are gearing up for this year's event. We usually expect around 50 guests and provide plenty of cocktails, beer, wine, and food, as well as hosting a white elephant gift exchange. A friend of mine mentioned that when they throw a party, they give a parting gift to each guest when they leave. While we enjoy being generous and hospitable, we do have a budget to consider. I was wondering what were your thoughts on this subject? Any advice? Advice would be great. Thanks again and happy holidays to you both. Best, Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for what is for me a new etiquette question. I've never got this Actually, one before. Yeah, no, I haven't either. This is a new one on my end, too. So um, kudos, etiquette, <laughs> etiquette props to you, Jeremy. Um, this is absolutely not a point of etiquette. You do not need to supply parting gifts at a party. It is a gesture that is above. It goes beyond. Some might even think it's a little over the top. But it's, um, it's certainly not a requirement when you're thinking about hosting a social gathering, and I wouldn't feel obligated to do it. We're, we're not trying to put down your friend who does do this. It's wonderful that that's what they, they would like to do. But I also really want people to understand that this is not a hosting must. And it's really easy to get caught up in seeing how everyone else throws a party. So you have to throw a party that way. And you don't. You have your own hosting style. I have friends whose hosting style is potluck. I mean, and that is like, you know, you're actually asking guests to bring dishes. You're not sending them home with totally individualized gifts. I think a little bit the idea of the parting gift kind of comes from a mix of what are actually more, I guess, for lack of a better term, corporate events. Um, You might go to a store for a promotion of some sort and they will send you home with a bag. That bag has actual advertising in it. It's samples. It's products. It's it's an advertisement for you. Um, Swag bags are the same type of thing. And I don't want people to think that that then becomes something you want to be doing at your home parties. I don't necessarily think that Jeremy's friends are sending swag bags home. Um, But I do think that you want to make sure it makes sense. The other place where this might be coming from, when you were a little kid and you went to a birthday party and you got a goodie bag that you got to take home. Goodie bags are a real thing. And I could totally see um, um, a mom and dad who are really used to throwing a birthday parties for their kids and sending home goodie bags thinking, hey, how come we don't do goodie bags for our friends? 
This actually made me think of something that your mother, who's a most excellent hostess, sometimes does. For her more elaborate affairs, there's sometimes, I used to call them crackers, you call them poppers. Poppers, both, yeah. But it would be on your plate and it would have a little prize in it and you pop it open and there's maybe a fortune in it or something. Yeah, they have those snaps, like you pull them and it goes bang and yeah. In my head, I always called it a party favor. Yeah, that is what it is. Just so you know, the thing that Dan is describing, it sits in the table or it sits above your play setting. It is considered a party favor, but it's not a parting gift. No, and when you get to that that territory of thinking about a goodie bag or some of those treats that were those pleasant surprises that were waiting for you at a birthday party as a kid, they, they can be nice tools in a host or hostess's toolbox. Yes. Um, maybe thinking of them as party favors or something that you're going to share or enjoy together as part of the experience of the party might be a way to think about those little gifts, not as a parting gift, but as a, right. a, an element of the party. You're, um, one of the things your mom has done at our Christmases, no matter who, we host Christmas at all the different post houses each year. We rotate among the families. And it was really fun because your mom would bring um, scratch tickets. And we would have little lotto <laughs> tickets sitting at our place. I forgot about and that. everybody could win. And it was kind of fun to see who won what and then who decided to do what with any if they won a big cash. No one's ever won a big cash prize. I think $5 was the most anybody got. But certainly a lot of fun. There are lots of little things you can do at Thanksgiving. Lake Champlain Chocolates makes these little chocolate turkeys. They often wind up at the top of our place setting. So there are little things you can do like that. But a parting gift is not a traditional entertaining do. It is an option, but I really do not want hosts out there to think, oh my gosh, I have to think about giving them a gift on their way out the door too. No, no, no. You give them a hug and say thank you so much for coming. Human attention is the greatest gift of all. Oh, I love it. We hope that that helps and have fun throwing your next party. It sounds like you guys do a great job and you're excellent hosts. This next question is titled For the Birds. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. First and foremost, I want to thank you for your podcast. My girlfriend and I love listening to it on our long, traffic-filled drives through Los Angeles. Being a a former (laughs) Los Angeles area resident, I so appreciate hearing that. Enjoy that drive. I hope it's not on the 10th. My family is having a Thanksgiving nightmare. Let me give you the short synopsis of what is going on. My aunt is a vegan for moral reasons. We have had issues at family vacations and parties for the last two years. However, she has been amicable, minus a couple of disgusted stares she may throw at us here and there. My mother and my aunt had discussed what to do about this year's Thanksgiving. My aunt exclaimed she wouldn't join our family's dinner until after the food would be served because she does not want to be around us while we eat meat. We all as a family thought that it was a little much, but if that made her happy and made our meal more enjoyable because we wouldn't offend her, then so be it. 
Then, last night, the nightmare began. My brother and I received an invitation via email for her dinner at the same time as our mother's. Our aunt sent this without talking to our mother at all. Obviously, this, we thought, was passive-aggressive, but what put the icing on the cake was the last line of the invitation. It read, Because being with family is more important than a dead bird, right? We really don't know how to respond to this or how to go about our plans for Thanksgiving. We as a family think she's crossed a big line. We do not care or judge her for being a vegan. That's her own personal choice and doesn't affect us. However, this invitation, her lack of communication with my mother, and the quote at the end of the invitation seems rude and insulting. I've listened to your suggestions for dealing with partygoers who have dietary restrictions, but this seems a little different. What would you suggest be the best way to deal with this kind of situation? Thank you for your work and keeping our traffic-filled lives as enjoyable as they can be. Josh. Oh, Josh, um, that's a that's a tough situation. And this is where, you know, uh, deeply held beliefs are starting to hurt a family's sense of gathering together. And one thought came to mind just right off the bat when Dan was reading this, and it was that we do not care or judge her for being a vegan. That's her own personal choice and doesn't affect us. It does affect you. You're in this situation be- because it's affecting you. You know, you can look at it and say it's her problem. She's the one with the issue with all of this. But really, it's a family problem because you're trying to gather and grow and spend time together as a family. And it's really hard when one person is throwing disgusted glances, but it's also really hard when the rest of the family isn't recognizing and supporting someone's choice. And so I think just try try to kind of play a little devil's advocate on the other side and, and just imagine what it's like for your aunt. And I'm not saying that you guys have to change Thanksgiving, but I am saying just take that moment to say, what's the other side of this look and feel like? Because she wrote this line, and I'm going to make a comment about it in a second, but she wrote this line that being with family is more important than a dead bird, right? She feels like you guys are choosing a dead bird over her. Now, you don't want to have to choose giving up your holiday tradition, and let's face it, it's a pretty big American tradition to have a turkey on the table, um, to accommodate her food choices, or you wish that she could just look at it as, hey, you guys do this, I do this, I won't partake, but you enjoy. You wish that she would have that gracious nature too. She's not clearly showing that, but I I just think you try really hard to look, even when the other person's etiquette isn't stellar, you try to have yours be as welcoming and as inviting and as accommodating as possible. Take that etiquette high road. Um, I, in my snappy judgment, you want to hear like what goes on in my Please head? tell us. When I read this question, I said, because being with family is more important than a dead bird. I was like, my response to them is they should write back to her. Yes, it is. So we hope we see you at seven o'clock. That would be my snappy, like, let me throw it right back at you. Get what you give kind of an answer. And, and now um, <laughs> you all are hearing why I call my cousin Lizzie the master of sample scripts. Because you, you know, it really goes on in my head. Well, and, and, and we often hear your really excellent sample scripts. You also have really excellently terrible sample scripts sometimes also and, and terrible in the best ways. Um, but I so that's my like, let me throw it back at you, because technically she's doing the same thing that she's calling them out for. The aunt is saying the bird is is more of an issue to me than my family is. I'm not going to go to Thanksgiving and I'm going to try to get them to come away from Thanksgiving with that bird in order to prove my point. So. That's the etiquette low road. That's the etiquette low road, and I would not go that road. What I would go do is I would reply to your aunt by saying, Dear aunt, thank you so much for the invitation. We are already committed to our Thanksgiving at mom's house uh, this year, but we really hope that we could see you for dessert or coffee or to join us in watching the football game afterwards. We would love to celebrate with all of our family on this wonderful holiday. Something like that lets her know that, hey, you, you know, without saying it, you're kind of saying we've already you are letting her know we've already committed to something and you're not having to say, oh, come on, you know that we're having Thanksgiving with mom. You don't need to go there. You can just say, oh, we already have a commitment. Thank you for the invitation. You know, ignore her rudeness and respond with politeness. So this is one of those places where etiquette can really save you and that yeah. there, there are two very clear points of etiquette here that are going to help give you direction in a difficult situation. The first is that you don't ignore the invite. Right. And the second is that you honor that earlier invitation. You honor the commitment that you've already made. And that's another very clear point of etiquette. And there's no need to add extra emotion to that communication. That can be clear, simple, straightforward, and 
be totally appropriate. Absolutely. Moving forward, I would have a discussion. Auntie, we would love to make sure that we're having family gatherings that we can all have together. Is there something we could do? Is it best to simply gather once the meat portion of the meal is finished? Every other year, could we do a vegan Thanksgiving? I, I will encourage you. They are delicious. Have What if you did turkey on Wednesday or Friday and you did vegan turkey on the holiday? You know what I mean? It's like, could you alternate somehow so that your family gathers twice together? I mean, when, when my family gets together, we have people coming in for the long weekend. So there's multiple meal opportunities. And so it's a really good idea to say, hey, is this something that we could accommodate and try? Y'all are used to making side dishes that are filled with vegetables. Thanksgiving is actually a fabulous meal to incorporate vegan and vegetarian options on your table. And you can incorporate really hearty vegan and vegetarian options. So is there some way that you could throw two Thanksgivings or alternate year to year? Um, Is there a way that maybe the family can do their own turkey, but when aunt comes to visit, you know, you're accommodating to the vegan side of it. And I'm just trying to encourage you because I have been so encouraged by the vegetarian meals I've been introduced to. Dan, I know throughout the course of his life, has had some amazing vegetarian meals and vegan meals. And it's just it's possible that you guys could embrace part of this, too. And it could be a really amazing family gathering. I I love the idea. The more Thanksgiving, the better. (laughs) Why not have a second Thanksgiving and make that a vegan vegetarian Thanksgiving if a substitution mentality isn't going to work? If the family is really, um, really enjoys that tradition of that turkey on the table. And that's entirely reasonable also. Absolutely. Lizzie mentions knowing that I've enjoyed great vegetarian meals. Not only that, I used to be part of an incredible vegetarian Thanksgiving tradition when I was living in the Los Angeles area. So you did what I'm talking about. You had the Thanksgiving and then you also had the veggie Thanksgiving. Absolutely. In fact, looked forward to it every year. They each had their own distinct flavors. And I came to really appreciate both. And actually, it's that big vegetarian Thanksgiving gathering that is one of the things I really miss about the Los Angeles area. The more that you can get away from the annoying way in which your aunt has chosen to go about making her stand and instead try to find really positive solutions, polite solutions to it, the more that you guys are going to move beyond this and come to a place where this part of it is in the past and the successful part that we're hoping to get you to is is the future or the current or the present. And I love the idea of using this as an opportunity to open up a discussion with your aunt about the best way to do this. This next year and maybe not waiting until the month before Thanksgiving. But if you bring that up six months before, nine months before, it's going to show her that you care, that you're really thinking about this, that it's not about excluding her, but it's about figuring out ways that everybody can enjoy this holiday in the way that's going to really matter and be significant to them. I love it. Josh, we really hope that this helps. We hope that this year Thanksgiving is going to be okay. I'm hoping we can salvage this year. Um, But if not, I really hope that next year brings an opportunity to be super inclusive and supportive on both sides of the meat, no meat issue. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Our next question is about the gift-giving cutoff. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I really enjoy your podcast and have what I believe is at least partially an etiquette question. They usually are. I have many nieces and nephews whose ages range from infant to 20. I typically give birthday and Christmas gifts to all of the kids, but I would like to phase that out when they reach adulthood. Does that seem reasonable or am I being mean? Also, the 20-year-old still lives at home and has siblings whose ages range from 7 to 19. Won't it be awkward if I'm still sending birthday gifts to the younger kids but not the older ones? I love all of my nieces and nephews with all of my heart, but it's just getting to be a bit expensive to send gifts to all of them. And the fact that the older ones especially never say thank you does enter into my inclination to stop. What do you think, an auntie? This is such an auntie problem. Yes, it is. And this is not an, an uncommon etiquette question. This no. is something we've encountered before. Yep. It's not particular to, to this family. Other families have encountered this and dealt with it. Oh, yeah. 
it's it's not something you need to worry a whole lot about, but you're smart to be thinking about it because there is the potential for some hurt feelings if people feel like they're being treated differently or if there's not not fairness in the way everybody's being treated. I love the fact that Auntie is considering the fact that if she says, hey, the cutoff age is 18, it's like you're going to watch these other little kids get presents for the next nine years, you know, and just be prepared. And that, that, that preparation is the important point of etiquette here, that you want to talk to people about traditions when you're changing them so mm-hmm. that they know what to expect. And even if it's been a tradition for previous people who've hit the 18-year mark or maybe it's the 12-year mark or the 16-year mark, whatever it is that the gift-giving shifts or the pattern around gift-giving shifts, letting people know it's coming, preparing them for it, talking to them explicitly about it. Your older cousin stopped getting this gift when they turned 14 <laughs> um, can help a lot, can go a long way towards helping people see the fairness, even if they're not feeling it. So let's finesse this a little bit. I think it would be kind of awkward, correct me if I'm wrong, to like sit your niece or nephew down and say, so you're turning 20 and that means I'm no longer going to get you gifts. <laughs> um, that is a really actually difficult conversation to deliver. And it is an awkward one. There's two ways I could see that you could do this successfully if you want to do the cutoff as an option. And I would suggest that you might actually talk to your siblings. I agree. Talk to the siblings and say, so listen, I have loved giving gifts to everyone. Budget isn't quite working out to support this, you know, for for lifelong. So what I'd really like to do is start transitioning to once the kids turn 20, I'm going to start, you know, just sending a card. And I would love it if this, because this change is happening, it's probably one that, that would be good to express to them. And I, this is one of those circumstances where I think it actually works better to hear it from a parent as an explanation of what's going to happen as opposed to hearing it directly from the aunt who is the giver of the gifts. So you're finding that person who's got the closest relationship, the most intimate personal relationship, both to you and that other person, if there's a chain of connections between them. And there's this within families, often the parent is the one kind of communicating what's happening on the bigger family scale to a child. So it's an appropriate way of doing it. Now, this actually happened to me. I had a a godmother who kind of it was funny. I think she had started to kind of phase me out and then decided she didn't want to like that. She wasn't enjoying that side of it. And so now she's back to giving gifts. But at around 26, I all of a sudden just started receiving birthday cards with no gift card, no gift associated with it. And I remember kind of being like, huh, that was different. And I realized that it, it was a it was a moment of etiquette. Um, awareness. Yeah. Yeah, Where I said to myself, well, I'm disappointed, but um, I'm really glad that she sent a card and, you know, you don't have to write a thank you note for a card. But I shot her a text and say, hey, got your birthday card. Thank you so much. And it was it was a moment of growth in my life where I had to realize this is where you thank someone for whatever you've been given, even if it's not what you're used to, even if it's not what you like. It was just a reinforcement of that moment in adulthood. I was really grateful when the gifts started coming again, but I just, you know, it happens. And sometimes you don't make any mention of it. Sometimes you don't say anything. And after about a week or two of no gift showing up, you're like, oh, no, the card really was. Something is different. What you don't want is for the child to internalize that as I did something bad, so I'm not receiving a gift. And that's one of the reasons why I think the conversation with the parents is good so they can communicate to the kid, no, this is just what's going to happen. And you are going to see, again, as Dan said, you kind of want to have that conversation happen ahead of time. Um, but you would say, you know, this is just what's happening and you are going to see the little kids are still going to get their their gifts. But, you know, when they turn 20, it'll stop. I hadn't realized you'd been on the other side of this one. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I've this has happened to me. I was yeah. thinking about the way it had happened in the post family yeah. where there was a time in your teenage years where there, there was a a tiered system yes. <laughs> that you got a certain kind of gift, a, a physical gift when you were younger. And mm-hmm. then you reached a certain age where there was a group gift that every cousin got. And then there was a little something beyond that. But the the our grandparents weren't worrying about buying a present for each kid any longer. And right. it was you different. kind of knew that was coming. It was almost a rite of passage into your teen years to but hit like, that tier of the gift giving. Being the youngest, I could see that happen to nine people ahead of me. Being Casey, the oldest... I'm wondering if that wasn't something that was expressed or explained at some point. But you know what I mean? Just so that he wasn't caught unawares about it. And I happen to have come up with a solution that I'm wondering if Auntie would like. And the solution is, what if you switched the nature of your gift giving, which is what you want to do, to being send birthday cards 
I would suggest that, first of all, is just say, you know, you're going to make the switch and you're just going to send birthday cards or keep sending birthday gifts. But at the holiday time, what about sending a group gift to the family instead? Something that's consumable, something everybody can enjoy. Um, You know, it doesn't even have to be consumables. Maybe it's gift certificates for movie purchases or things like that, the things that the family could do together so that you're not having to put an age limit on it. You're still sending something, but now maybe you're sending three Christmas gifts a year instead of 21 Christmas gifts a year. I think I just basically said that the three branches of the family have seven kids each. But no, it just, you know, it's you get where I'm going with this, that send a gift to the whole family and then you're cutting down the amount that you're sending, but you're still touching everybody in the family with a gift. I love that idea of a group gift. And this isn't something that we talked about ahead of time. And it inspires me to share something that we're doing in the sending family right now is that we are eliminating a particular gift that used to happen from aunts and uncles to a growing group of adult cousins. And instead, that group of cousins are all nominating a favorite charity. And then we're going to choose which charity we like. And all of the cousins are going to give a gift to each other of a donation to that charity. Oh, nice. So the group gift is going to be a a collectively decided upon gift that we're all going to make a small donation to. And people can make whatever donation they feel comfortable with. And it's but it's a a similar approach in that we're taking what was an individual gift giving and turning it into a group gift giving, turning it into a group and, and and a communally decided upon group gift that sort of everyone can participate in. Very cool. Um, Auntie, I think you have some options here for sure. I hope that you can have confidence with whichever route you choose, that it's the one that you feel good about and that you you it's still allowing you that wonderful exchange and participation in the lives of your nephews and nieces. But it isn't going to break your bank. It isn't going to make you feel overtaxed. And I just wanted to directly answer your question. No, you are not being selfish. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and that it is filled with all of these wonderful nieces and nephews that you so love the company of. Hey, Dan, got a smoke? Yes, I do, but no, I don't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Our next question begins, good day. I have a pressing etiquette question. When a stranger or new acquaintance asks for a cigarette and you do not feel you should give them one, what is the polite way to turn them down? Mind you, I am not speaking of a stranger off the street, but say at a social gathering. Should we all suck it up? No pun intended and acquiesce. This question could be applied to other requests, but cigarettes are more a luxury these days than, say, mints. Thank you for reading. Gina. Gina, you are actually right. These are kind of a, a luxury these days. We'll say we'll say they're a luxury these days. They're expensive. I mean, the taxes that have been placed on cigarettes, they, they were put there on purpose to drive up the price. And it's done just that. And they have kind of become considered a luxury item in that regard. And, you know, you get, what, 20 cigarettes in a pack? And I think it's probably, yeah, it adds up. They're not cheap per cigarette. And Oftentimes when people are at a party and there's drinking going on, that's sometimes when people who don't smoke choose to take a smoke or even just have a drag off of someone's cigarette, something like that. And it's not necessarily polite. I I can see where Gina is coming from, that this isn't something that makes her comfortable. But I noticed that her question is actually about acquaintances at social gatherings. She's not talking about just someone who you happen to be standing outside a bar, you know, next to or someone sitting, you know, at that bar. You're dealing with an actual person that you might have to be interacting with and you want to refuse them something. And that's awkward. It definitely is. It it. I'm not familiar with this particular area of etiquette, but I'm I'm fascinated with the question of is there a courtesy around luxury that if you're doing something that is uh, expensive, let's just say it expensive or, or, or exactly that someone might Coveted. perceive as exactly as 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 being frivolous or being something that's not a, a, a necessity mm-hmm. that if you can afford that, then you can probably afford to share, I think, is sometimes the implication in an ask like that. And. I don't think there necessarily is. I think questions around budget and sharing are really personal and you just don't know what accommodation someone's made in some other territory to be able to to carve out this luxury experience, whatever it is for them. I think you could go two routes, Gina. One, you're allowed to set your own boundaries. You always are. And you could just with a very sincere but very clear 
tone, you could simply say, I'm sorry, but I actually don't give them out, you know, or, oh, I'm really sorry. I don't bum cigarettes. That's kind of a phrase that is often used around it. Um, But or I'm sorry, I don't have a spare one for you is one way to go. I like the idea of I don't have a spare. That's it's a just a clear way of saying, you know, like without having to say I'm down to my last one, you could go the sneaky route. The sneaky route is the next time you finish a pack, keep the empty pack, put your one cigarette into it, keep the full pack in your pocket. And then when you go to reach, say, sorry, I've only got one. And it's technically a lie. I'm totally giving you the scenario of pick Dan's chin up um, off the studio. Yeah, floor. No, but it is a way to just kind of get around it without having to, to say, I don't want to share. I don't like to share. It's too expensive to share all things I would not advise. But you you can simply say, I'm sorry, I don't give out cigarettes. That's it. But you it's an awkward moment in that way. So I can see that you might want kind of a more covert way of facilitating that. Or you can offer them a drag of yours if you feel comfortable of that, but you don't have to. But I I understand where she's coming from, though. There are times where, no, you just don't want to give it out. It's not something that you, you want to be sharing with other people. Another thing that this sort of reminds me of is the burden that an ask puts on someone. Yeah. That when you're and, and, and I think there's definitely a point of etiquette, something to remember here that what can sometimes feel like an easy ask is difficult for someone else. And it's really worth thinking about and being careful with what we ask of each other, even if it feels like a minor thing. And m- maybe that mint is is territory that you're comfortable in. Maybe the stick of gum is territory you're comfortable in. But if you do it every day, mm-hmm. if you're not contributing, you want to think about the other person's perspective anytime you're imposing on someone else. Absolutely. Gina, we hope that that helps and that the the social side of this is a little bit easier to set boundaries with. Our next question is titled Free Lunch. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I have a work etiquette conundrum for which I could use some advice. I am a postdoc at a large research institution, and this fall we have taken a non-traditional graduate student into our lab. He is older than me with quite a lot more lab experience and has very traditional Southern manners. I have been training him on our techniques and assisting him in his experiments until he is more familiar with them. This is a pretty standard situation in academia and part of my job description and expectations. I have helped him with a few experiments, and we have a large one coming up, and he is insistent on buying me lunch for a whole week for helping him out. I appreciate the gesture and understand that he wants to thank me for my help, yet I don't really feel that I should receive free lunches for doing what is expected of me in my job, and I really don't mind training him. It's not a big deal. Moreover, I just don't like to eat a lot of takeout food, and I like to bring my own lunch to work. He's becoming increasingly insistent, and I would love some sample language that will let him know that I am happy to help and I don't need a reward for doing my job. Thank you for your help. I have used your advice many times in both professional and personal situations and always strive for consideration, respect, and honesty in my responses. Best, Erica. Erica, thank you for your question. And An extra special thank you for wrapping your question up with the concepts of consideration, respect and honesty. It is so refreshing to to hear those those words reflected back to us because they matter so much to Lizzie and me because they really are the foundation for the advice that we build our answers out of. So to the meat of your question, to the heart of your question, it is totally okay to either accept or refuse these offers for lunch. And if you are going to refuse a repeated offer where somebody's doing something for you, it's perfectly acceptable to say no, to set your boundary, and it's going to help that person to hear it, to thank them for making the offer. So thank you so much for offering. I really appreciate it. But, you know, this is part of my job and I don't mind doing it. So I'm not going to be taking you up on that. But again, thank you so much for offering. I really appreciate it. That was really clear. All of a sudden. But I'm not going to take you up on it. It's been established. You've thanked them twice. You've stated that you're not going to do it now or in the future. And hopefully that other person can respect that and Mm -hmm. will start to take that cue and maybe not make the same offer again and again or maybe find a different way to approach you with that thanks if they really want it to register. I think, too, you could go down the route of, of accepting a lunch or say, you know, 
let's go grab a coffee together. How about? And that might be a nice way to allow the person to to do this generous thing that they would like to do without really completely shutting them down. I was wondering if we'd go down this road because there is definitely room also to redirect. Mm -hmm. If someone really is feeling inspired and you can sense their goodwill and you know that they're determined to do something for you, I think there is a little bit of room, although it's potentially tricky territory, to help direct that intention into an area where it's going to be appreciated more. And I, I, I love the idea of accepting a coffee or telling them that you would be more likely to accept their offer if it came in the form of a coffee or a parking ticket that's going to let you park a little closer to the building, whatever it is that you really would appreciate. But I know. But Sorry, when you- I was just sitting here going, a parking ticket? What are you talking about? Because I'm thinking of the ones you get from the city when they when you've parked and you get. Sorry, I was My- thinking more a parking pass or like, the tokens that validate you. So you're going to bring the guy your like building. parking violation and tell him to pay for it? What do you mean here? Now I get what you're talking about. But <laughs> sorry, I was totally off. No, but it's that confusion that makes this kind of tricky territory <laughs> because you also need to be careful giving a lot of direction about gift giving. Yeah, right. Because that can start to tread into territory that's got um, some etiquette danger as well that oh well they they're not accepting of this but they're going to tell me they want this or this or this so if it's a an easy quick substitution if there's something in that same territory that the offer is coming from and you can help them make a better offer i think that there's room to go there the safer cleaner place is just to be really clear that you're comfortable with the work that you're doing you're happy to help them and that you really appreciate their offer but you're not interested if you're on the flip side of this if you're the one offering something that someone is refusing one of the things you can always go to and Dan and I say this time and time and time again is you can always use your words write a quick little thank you note that is such a great way to show appreciation without forcing someone to accept generosity. And I think it is a great way to feel what you're looking for as the recipient of something that you're grateful for, which is expressing your gratitude. And using your words in a card to express your gratitude is a wonderful symbol of appreciation. And I think that that would be a great way to go if if this situation were reversed and you're in that position of just really wanting to thank someone, but they won't let you thank them the way you think you should be. Use your words. Erica, we hope that helps and that you continue to be an excellent coworker who everyone is inspired to give to. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-866-0860 or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette when you do. That's what good manners do. They make everyone feel at ease. We are always so interested in your reaction to the advice we give out on Awesome Etiquette. Our producer, Chris Roberts, is in charge of reviewing some of your feedback and sharing it with us. And he's here today to do just that. So take it away, Chris. I will certainly do that. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. And this week's feedback is consumed with the issue of alcohol consumption. Who should pay for it at certain social gatherings and how to say no to alcohol? First, in response to a woman on a recent episode who wondered whether it would be advisable to have a cash bar at a memorial service she was hosting, I believe both of you indicated to her that it would not be advisable, but one of you, and I can't remember whom, came up with the idea of a signature cocktail, and this inspired Erica. And Erica writes, I totally agree that a signature cocktail is the way to go. And what many people don't know is that, at least in my state, unopened liquor bottles are returnable for a full refund. (laughs) So you could make martinis, buy a couple dozen bottles of gin, and then return the extras if the crowd is lighter and you end up only using two or three. Sincerely, Erica. And I thought that was a great solution. And boy, it occurred to me it would turn the memorial into kind of a sophisticated Irish wake. But that sounds pretty good to me. Well, I'm going to acknowledge that it was my cousin Lizzie who came up with the idea of a signature cocktail. And I agree. I think that that there is a certain um, sophistication to that idea. I really like it. 
Well, and I like the fact that there's, you know, look into your local state laws, find out what is possible. What could you return if you buy too much? I think that that was actually a really great and useful tip. Different states do have really different laws in regards to liquor consumption and purchase. So please, please check your local state and town laws. We also got quite a bit of feedback to the question from the young female college student who's not a drinker and needed help warding off peer pressure to imbibe. Chris, I'm going to jump yeah. in here and just say that I was thrilled with the feedback that we got. I, When I saw these um, emails come in, I just loved the fact that everybody had uh, suggestions for Maddie, our, our listener who had written in. She takes a medication and doesn't always want to have to tell people, I don't drink because I take a medication it could react to. Um, She wanted other language. And I just loved that we got so many helpful responses for here's what you can do. Really helpful and a lot of empathy and sympathy. And first from a listener, Trey, who says, I have tons of experience because I was a very wild Mormon. (laughs) I thought that that was pretty funny. Uh, First of all, he suggests, Trey does, that maybe you should drink ginger ale or root beer at the party. And I'm assuming because ginger ale kind of looks like beer and root beer kind of looks like uh, black and tan, maybe. Trey also says you could say to people, everyone needs a designated driver, which is definitely true if you're surrounded by people who have overindulged in the drink. I like that one, too, because it doesn't necessarily mean you are the designated driver. It's just a general statement, hey, everybody needs a designated driver. And it doesn't necessarily have to be you when you decide to walk out of the party and leave all these people right. behind. Right. It doesn't but, mean you, mean you have appointed yourself a designated driver. Exactly. Yeah, that was really clever. Finally, from Trey, I never drink in public. <laughs> that made me laugh. I don't know why. That one makes me laugh, too. I'm like, wait, uh, that's one that kind of leaves. It's like they're like, oh, yeah. And then you've walked away and they're like, wait a second. you So you only drink at home? <laughs> Very dry. Great humor. <laughs> I loved it. And finally, Sarah is the voice of experience on this issue. And she writes, as someone who didn't drink in college, I can sympathize. It can really be tricky and flat out awkward at times. But there are a few things she can do. Number one. If someone persists after you decline a drink, i.e., why don't you drink, reply with, why do you ask? This tends to throw people because they suddenly realize how rude their question is. While they flounder for an answer, you can pivot the conversation or excuse yourself and walk away. Number two from uh, Sarah, if you don't have the energy to deal with the why don't you drink questions, You could take a can or bottle of beer, empty it out, and fill it with water. You can walk around the party all night, drink in hand, and no one will be none the wiser. Soda, tonic water with a lime works well, too. That's the one I used to do. It was, I used to have my solo cup with, as long as you put a wedge of lime in it, everyone thinks it's a gin and tonic or a vodka soda. It's like, you don't have to worry about it at all. Although they often will ask, hey, where'd you get the vodka? Is there gin here? And you have to say, oh, I brought my own. And it's all gone. (laughs) Finally, says Sarah, tell Maddie that it gets easier. By junior and senior year, people rarely bugged me about drinking anymore. I hope that helps. Sarah. Oh, Sarah, that helps. No, it totally does. And I just want to echo that we had about six other responses that all had the suggestion of emptying out the bottle or the can or or using the water with lime or a lemon wedge in it that, that a lot of people said, hey, you guys didn't mention this and it's a great way. And I have to admit, our audience member members were really awesome because they all they all couched their answer in saying, you guys might not have mentioned this because it might be dishonest. And I loved the fact that that um, people understand that honesty is a big part of what we do. And I think twice in this show now, I have suggested a white lie, which is not typical for our audience. It's not typical for the advice we give. But there are certain circumstances where I think uh, a little bit of zhuzhing, a little, a little bit of... Um, sort of protecting yourself can can come in that form. But I think that in, in this particular circumstance where you just make it appear that you are holding something that might have alcohol in it, it's really just uh, it's, it's working with other people's assumptions rather than flat out lying to them. That's 
I'm just just on that border it. territory, but I, it, okay? <laughs> due, due to the particular nature of this question, the jovial uh, spirit and atmospheres, I'm going to allow for that sort of p- positive allow, party huh? deception. Oh, allow, right? Okay, we'll have a conversation about that later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for the feedback. Um, To our listeners, thank you guys so much for sending in your feedback. It is always helpful. It enhances our answers. It gives us different perspectives. So we welcome it. We are so grateful for it. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn. But it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. So for today's postscript, I thought that we would turn back to Emily's 1922 edition of Etiquette, which, believe it or not, had a chapter about etiquette in business and politics. And I thought this particular week, looking at what Emily had to say about this topic, might be illuminating. So... I went off to my trusty edition of the book, and as I was thumbing through it, I'll confess that I didn't find anything in particular that was going to offer any real perspective on our political climate. But I did notice something that Emily wrote about business that really resonated with me in how contemporary it felt. And it reminded me that there are some really fundamental elements for etiquette that we can count on. And those of you that listen to this show regularly hear Lizzie and I talk about the framework of consideration, respect, and honesty all the time. Those are the, the fundamental principles that we turn to when we're trying to figure out what manner is appropriate and how manners change and evolve over time. As I read my great-great-grandmother describe etiquette in business almost 100 years ago, I was reminded how true those core principles still are to this day. On manners and business, if you had a commission to give and you entered a man's office and found him lolling back in a tipped swivel chair, his feet above his head, the ubiquitous cigar in his mouth and his drowsy attention fixed on the sporting page of the newspaper, you would be impressed not so much by his lack of good manners as by his bad business policy. Because of the incompetence that his attitude suggests, it is scarcely necessary to ask, would you give an important commission to him who has no apparent intention of doing anything but take his ease, or to him who is found occupied at his desk, who gets up with alacrity upon your entrance, and is seemingly on his toes, mentally as well as actually? Or would you go in preference to a man whose manner resemble those of a bear at the zoo? You could go to another whose business ability is supplemented by personal charm, And this, again, is merely an illustration of bad manners and good. It was the description of the, the the person you're trying to do business with rocking back in their chair reading the sports section. And I'll admit it inspired a moment of self-reflection in me and the temptation that I often find throughout the course of the day to check the sporting news when I'm on my computer doing what whatever important work task is in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, Shana. And, and whether it's the, 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 the social media that we hear about being such a distraction in the world workplace today or just the sports section in the back of the newspaper of yesterday. Those temptations are always around us and they they take slightly different forms, but in substance, they change very little over the course of time. And to me, this was a, a little reassuring that as long as we've got that framework of consideration, respect and honesty, whether it's the sports page or your favorite sports blog, good etiquette remains good etiquette and will be a guide for us, hopefully for another century to come. As you know, we like to end every episode by paying tribute to all the awesome etiquette being practiced in the world. Every now and then, those etiquette salutes are directed back towards this show. Normally, we refrain from sharing these. But we had a momentous election last week, and that left some people euphoric and others reeling. So we were humbled and grateful to receive this salute from a down-in-the-dumps voter named Maureen. The election was yesterday. I am not really happy. I'm kind of scared. 
I made the mistake of waking up in the night and looking at the Internet and finding out the results. And then I sat there and read many, many things in an attempt to calm myself down. And I got up this morning, and I have about a 1,000 books on my iPad. But what I chose to listen to was podcast after podcast of yours. Because just listening to you guys really calmed me down. I feel much better now. I have to go teach. And I've had about three hours now this morning while I'm getting ready and doing my morning chores of listening to you guys talk about etiquette. And I find it extremely calming. Everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be the picture I thought I was going to be living in for the next four years. And we'll still be here, you know, kind of thing. I just want to let you know that on several levels, I enjoy your show. I really, really do. Thank you. Vereen, thank you for that lovely, lovely salute. Um, we really appreciate it. And I think that Lizzie and I both agree that whatever is happening in life, oftentimes it's our personal relationships that we turn to to really find that comfort. Maureen, you've really stumped us. I actually thought that you were going to be reflective upon the postscript segment we did last week about how to talk about the election and just the fact that you're talking about the show. Um, Dan and I, I, I hate that we both tear up when we talk about this, but we really wanted this show to be something that made people feel better about the world. And when you have half the country extremely upset and half the country elated, both parties afterwards are going to have trouble. The people who are elated aren't getting the amount of support and elation that they want. And the people who are disappointed aren't getting the amount of comfort and solace that they need. And to feel like just simply talking about here are the nice ways that we can interact. Here's the way that we can make small moments between each other better. Um we live in, and breathe this, even if we aren't always great at it <laughs> technically in our personal lives. You know, we're human, but um, it, it, it's the feeling that we get from it is exactly what you're experiencing. And the fact that you're experiencing that from the show, um, it means the world to us. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, Maureen. We really appreciate it. Okay, um, that's our show for today. <laughs> thank you so much for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And don't forget, you can help us out and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the awesome Chris Roberts. Mm-hmm.